We uh, continue our sermon series in the book of Ephesians this morning, and as Pastor Peter has been reminding us over the last couple of weeks, we've moved from the root system, uh, the foundation, as it were, of our faith, uh, describing our position in Christ uh, in chapters 1 through 3. This is based on what God has done for us by grace, not anything that we do. It's a gift of God by His mercy. Uh, and, and we've moved from that position in Christ, beginning in chapter 4, to talk about our practice in Christ. How then should we live in light of what God has done for us by grace? Ephesians is crystal clear throughout the book that we do not earn God's approval or favor by anything that we do, by our good works or, or anything else that we might do. Uh, for, for example, very famously in chapter 2, Verses 8 and 9, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, that no one should boast. Nevertheless, having been saved by grace, we respond to God's love for us by living a life of love for God and, and for others. And so in the very next verse in Ephesians 2.10, Paul continues saying, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. And I read verse 10 from the New American Standard because uh, the way that it translates that verse makes it clear what the connection is then to chapter 4, verse 1. It says here that we're not saved by our good works, but we're saved for good works that we should walk in them. And so beginning in chapter 4, our passage for today, uh, a little before that in verse 1, Paul transitions from our position in Christ to our practice in Christ by saying, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, in the last few weeks, Peter has been explaining that to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord requires humility and graciousness towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, because the goal of our faith, we see, is to live in unity and to pursue maturity together. Today, we're going to build on that by seeing that we have something to do to help build that unity and maturity by God's grace at work in us. So listen as I read from Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 13. This is God's Word. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when He ascended on high, He took many captives and gave gifts to His people. What does He ascended mean except that He also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up, maybe built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of of the fullness of Christ. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your grace. Thank you that you lavish your grace on us. 
you have poured out, as Carl reminded us, every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms on us. Our position with you is secure. We have nothing to prove. Lord, let us respond to that grace by living in light of that grace. And so, Lord, teach us from your word, empower us, and help us to follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're less than a week from Black Friday, right? Ready or not, the Christmas shopping season is on us if it hasn't already hit. I don't, I don't know if you're ahead of the game or not, but it's that time when we start looking for the lowest prices on the best gifts that we want to give throughout the holidays. And of course, the reason that we give gifts at Christmas is because God has given us the greatest gift in sending His Son And that gift is the basis of all of God's gifts in our lives. Our passage begins by talking about another kind of gift that Jesus has given us. Verse 7 literally reads in the, in the, the, the word flow of the original Greek, it says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. It speaks of a gift that Jesus has given us, and this gift it says, is a grace, not the grace of salvation that Paul has been talking about in chapters 1 through 3. Here he's speaking about something else. He's speaking about a gift to serve. And we, we call this gift a spiritual gift. This grace is a spiritual gift. It's something that Jesus gives each believer to empower us to participate with Him in what He wants to do in the world, in His mission. It's a gift to help build the unity and the maturity that, that Paul has been talking about in, in this chapter. These gifts are, in fact, grace, literally, for us to give away. Perhaps you've seen the, the Christmas bucket list graphic that's been floating around on social media the last few weeks. I don't know if you've seen this. I don't know if you could read that, but, but, but it, it reminds us that during the holiday season, we could, rather than focusing on buying presents, for example, it encourages us to be present. Uh, in essence, it calls us to be a gift to people, to express love, to pursue relationship rather than focusing on the stuff we can get and the stuff that we can buy uh, other people. And, and that's a similar idea, I think, to what Paul is getting at here with this idea of gifts. What I want us to see today through this passage is that Christ has given us to each other. We are the gift. Christ has given us to each other to be a gift, to build one another up so that we can be a blessing together to the world. Christ has given us to each other to be a gift, to build one another up so that we can be a blessing to the world. The passage begins by explaining that Jesus has given each of us, each of you, grace for ministry. Now, we saw in the beginning of chapter 4 in the last couple of weeks that this chapter begins by emphasizing the unity of all of God's people. And this is a unity that's a gift from God. It's founded on the very nature of God. Paul says because it's a unity of the Spirit, because there's one body and one Spirit, one hope to which you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, Because of that, we ought to pursue that unity. 
God cares deeply about the unity of His people, the unity of the church, because the church is God's means, Paul has been explaining in this book, for, for God's eternal purpose in the world to be revealed to a watching world. For example, in chapter 1, verse 10, God's eternal purpose is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And the church is to be a preview of that. It's like a trailer for an upcoming movie. It's to give the world a taste of what this unity can look like as God is at work in our lives. I think more and more people in our society believe that church affiliation is not necessary. Even if they would call themselves Christians, they may even think that it's counterproductive. They might say, I don't need to go to church and and deal with all of the drama of the people there. I can worship God much better on my own. Perhaps some of us think that. Uh, Perhaps we've been at that place and can identify for, for various reasons. They might say, I feel most connected to God when I'm on a hike, when I'm, when I'm out in nature or something, something like that. But I think what Paul would, would urge us from this passage is that nothing at the, ultimately can be farther from the truth. Because Ephesians tells us that God has an eternal purpose to build a spiritual family, a community, That's the church, and and that expression takes concrete shape through real-life, flesh-and-blood, life-on-life relationships. And he doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't suggest that it's going to be easy. That's why he calls us to pursue graciousness and humility and the fruit of the Spirit in other places. We're all sinners here, and so that's why he stresses the need for humility and grace. But he wants us to be one a community. And the individualism that so characterizes our society today is a barrier to that. It actually runs counter to it. But that doesn't mean that God overlooks you as an individual. God cares for each person. God saves each person individually, and God gifts each person to be part of the solution for building this unity in community that he's describing here. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Paul is saying that not only has Jesus saved you by grace, he's given you a spiritual gift by grace to empower you in all of your uniqueness as an individual, who you are, to make a contribution on his behalf in the world. And verses 8 and 10, 8 through 10, provide a theological basis for this statement, for Jesus' work in the church. In verse 8, Paul cites Psalm 68, verse 18. And in the original context, Psalm 68 is a celebration of God's triumphant march from from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion in Jerusalem where he defeats his enemies and he ascends the hill, the holy mountain, to the temple there. He's enthroned on the temple in the imagery of Psalm 68. And in the original psalm, if you flip back and and look at it, it speaks of God receiving gifts from people. It's an image from that ancient context of of when a, a king would receive tribute 
from the spoils of his victory. And then the custom was, Psalm 68 doesn't go into this, but the custom was that the king would then turn around and distribute those spoils to his followers, his people. And Paul, of course, understands this Old Testament imagery in terms of how it prefigures Jesus' triumphant victory. When, when he rose from the dead, when he conquered death and the devil and all who oppose him, and he ascends into the heavenly temple at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And so Paul fittingly extends the imagery from Psalm 68 from receiving tribute to distributing the spoils of victory by giving gifts to his people. Verses 9 and 10 explain that his ascent to heaven after his resurrection presuppose that he descended from heaven to earth in the first place. Now, here's the point of all this, this, this whole section in, in Ephesians 4. Here's what Paul is saying. He says, the very reason Jesus came to earth, the very reason Jesus lived and died and rose again to go back to heaven was to save you so that you could be part of his family and to gift you to be part of his mission. The logic of the entire section is this. If Jesus Christ is the risen Lord who has ascended higher than the heavens in order to fill the whole universe with his glory and his power, and if this risen Lord has given you gifts, you uniquely, individually, he's given you a spiritual gift for you to use in ministry, then it's not optional. Right? You need to use it. You can't just be a spectator in the church. You can't think of the Christian life as merely having your own kind of private, personal relationship with Jesus without any implications for contributing to the unity and the spiritual maturity of the church that Paul has been talking about. If you're a Christ follower... You have a relationship with Jesus precisely so that you can be part of his solution to the disunity of the world by expressing your gift to build up the body of Christ and to join in its witness to the world. And so we can't think of Sunday morning like a consumer who comes to get a spiritual fix for the week and then go home. Christ has given us to each other to be a gift, to build one another up so that we can be a blessing to the world. Now, God, of course, is the center of our gathering when we gather for corporate worship. He's the center of our life all the time. And so when we come to worship, God is the focus. If there's an audience, it's Him. It's not us, right? God is the focus. It's about Him. But because it's about Him, it's also about His desire to make us one a mature body. And so our focus on God necessarily leads to a focus on one another. Do you come to worship in order to give your heart to God in worship and, and to find ways to be an encouragement to His people that God has gathered here? Jesus has graced you for that very thing. Second, we learn from this passage that the gift of leaders for the church is to equip the rest of us. 
Jesus' point for this section is found in verse 7. We've already read it. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then he has this parenthetical thought in verses 8 through 10, which provides the theological foundation for that statement. And then Paul mentions five specific gifts, which he gives to the church in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Now, I think if, if you've heard of this concept of spiritual gifts before, we usually think of spiritual gifts in terms of, of abilities that Christ gives us to be a blessing to other people. That's how Paul talks about spiritual gifts, for example, in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and 1 Peter 4. But here in Ephesians, he's, he's talking about them a little differently. It's not so much that the spiritual gifts in his mind in Ephesians 4 are abilities, so much as their people. He gifts his church by giving them people. Now, of course, he's given these people spiritual abilities in order to fulfill their roles, but, but the focus is on the relationships. Now, and notice as well, there's not just one leader, right? There's, this is not a, a, a hierarchy with one person at the top that, that is the leader. There's a whole group of them. We'll come to that in a second. But let me pause and just ask you, do you think of your spiritual leaders in this way? Do you think of them as gifts from Jesus to you, to the church? They're not perfect. God knows I'm not perfect. We have our own responsibilities and accountability to Jesus, but do you think of your spiritual leaders and pray for them as gifts from God? If you're a leader in the church... Someone who shepherds others, who ministers the Word of God. Maybe you're a growth group leader or a Bible study leader, a Sunday school teacher. Maybe you're an elder or a deacon. Do you think of yourself as Christ's gift to the church? In other words, it's not about you. It's not about the position you hold in the church, but it's about how you can serve as Christ's gift to serve the church. On the other hand, leaders, when you're discouraged in your ministry, that inevitably happens to all of us, how might you be encouraged if you remind yourself of who you are? You're a gift from God to His people. Well, the common thread that runs through all five of these roles is that they minister the Word of God to people in various ways. Um, they equip them for ministry. They minister the Word of God to the people in order to equip them for ministry. Let's just look at them briefly. The word apostle refers to a messenger, a delegate. It literally means a sent one. Uh, it has three main meanings in the New Testament, and the one that most naturally comes, I think, to many of our minds is uh, its reference to the original apostles, original disciples of Jesus who ministered and walked with Jesus, as well as a handful of specially authorized people that Jesus commissioned, like the Apostle Paul. Um, these were the foundation of the church, Scripture tells us, and a foundation of the church is unique right? The rest of us build on that foundation. And so in that sense, the apostles are no longer on the scene. They've, they've, uh, their words, their teaching have been recorded for us in the New Testament, but they're unique as, as uh, authoritative representatives of Jesus. Uh, 
But there, the, the word apostle is also used in the New Testament. Uh, more generally, there were apostles in the sense of being missionaries. Or we might think of church planters or representatives of one church to another church. They were sent out to initiate new ministries or, or represent the church in some way. And that, that certainly, uh, in a small a kind of way, continues today. There are those that God has gifted the church to break new ground and to push the gospel out where it hasn't been heard. And then third, every Christian has been commissioned by Christ and sent. All of us are sent to be His witnesses, to be His ambassadors in that general sense. Prophets, similarly, primarily refer to the spokesman of God, right? They receive direct communication from God, which is relevant for everyone. And again, their words are often recorded for us as Scripture. And like the apostles in that sense, they, these people served a specific time. They're not running around today. But like the apostles, in a more general sense, prophets not only foretold events in this kind of inspired way, but more often they foretold. That is, they applied God's Word, God's revelation to the contemporary situation. God has gifted some people with insight into how God's Word relates to what's going on now. They can read the signs of the time and understand how God's Word speaks to it. And these people are often troublemakers because they call us out. Oftentimes, they'll recognize how the church is culturally compromised, how we've inappropriately accommodated ourselves to, to the surrounding culture. We're tolerating sin in our midst in some, some way, and God stirs them up to call the church back to faithfulness. We need people like that. Evangelists, of course, refer to people who proclaim the gospel powerfully and effectively. And again, just like all of us are sent and all of us are called to understand how God's Word relates to our lives and to our, to our times, all of us are called to share the gospel with non-Christians as well. But God has given some people as gifts to the church who are just really effective at that. We see these people just constantly talking to, to non-Christians about the faith, and, and they're a model to us, a reminder to us of our calling now, there's some debate about whether pastors and teachers refer to one group, pastor-teachers, uh, or two separate groups, and uh, it's a really fascinating grammatical argument. I'll spare you the details here. If you're really interested, we can talk offline afterwards. But uh, it, um, in my understanding, every pastor is a teacher, but not every teacher is called to pastor or shepherd God's people. There are some who just are simply really good at teaching the Word of God. Furthermore, someone with the title of pastor in the church might have any of the combination of these five roles uh, in a general sense. And so we need to separate this idea of pastor from the title of pastor. Hopefully our, our, our people who hold that title have that role. But pastor means shepherd, someone who cares for or, 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 or leads other people. And so this would apply to many growth group leaders. Um, th this, this role is not limited to an officer in the church, but God has distributed these gifts uh, among the church. There are some who are just good encouragers of people, 
counselors, people who care for people as they come along and encourage them with God's Word. The point is that God has gifted many people in the church, several people in each church for spiritual leadership. All of these leaders teach God's truth revealed in the Scriptures, it says in verse 12, to equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. And that brings us to our final point this morning. Third, gifts to all are to empower us to serve. So let me ask you this. Who are the ministers of Jesus Christ? It may sound like a silly question. I mean, we know who the ministers are. They're the people who preach and pray, right? They're, they're paid by the church oftentimes to do ministry. Well, if not for verse 12, we might think that they're the five roles mentioned in verse 11. The common way of speaking about ministers, though, in our culture, isn't supported by the Bible. The Bible urges us to, to speak about ministry differently. Now, someone defined a football game, you've probably heard this before, someone def- defined a football game as 75,000 people sitting in a stadium in desperate need for exercise, watching 22 people in desperate need for rest. And, and, and some of us approach church like fans in the football stadium, assuming that we're here to be served by the people doing the ministry. Well, in the original Greek, verse 12 literally says that he's given us these gifts, verse 12, to equip his people for the work of ministry. It could be translated the work of service, but it's the common word that's translated in many places, ministry. And so those five roles in verse 11 are to equip God's people, but it's the people as a whole, all of us together, who are called to do ministry. Now, the leaders, of course, do ministry too, but we should think of the frontline ministry wherever you all live, wherever you all are interacting with other people, exercising the gifts that God has given you. And so even though Paul has just described apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers as Jesus' gifts to the church, remember that he prefaced that in verse 7 by saying, each one of us has been given a gift. And so those five particular gifts to the church are to equip the rest of God's people for ministry, for works of service. Christ has given us to each other to be a gift to build one another up so that we can be a blessing to the world. Do you see yourself as a minister of Christ? If you would see yourself that way, how would it lead you to live differently, perhaps, than you are? Where is your ministry? If you're married, your ministry is to your spouse as you serve them, as you help them, as they help you follow Jesus. If you're a parent, it's to your kids as you actively, intentionally nurture them in the faith. that The church is here to help with that, but the church is not a substitute for you being the frontline disciplers of your own children. 
God has placed you in their lives to be the primary ones to point them to Jesus, to impress God's word on on their hearts, as it says in Deuteronomy 6, to talk about God's word, his commandments, when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. If you have a job, you represent Christ and his kingdom at work. If you're here in this room, you have a ministry to the other people sitting here in this room. How are you serving? In short, your ministry is everywhere God has placed you in your life. You are called by God. You are empowered by God. You are graced by God with the ability to represent Him and His kingdom in all of life to live all of life for his glory, to be a pointer to others of of someone who's attempting to follow Jesus in, in every forum of your life. It's your leader's job to equip you for that, but it's your job to walk in a manner worthy of your calling in all things for the glory of God, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Pastor Peter is going to unpack that over the next couple of weeks in more detail, what that looks like. Though we were broken in our sin, God saved us by grace. We don't have anything to prove to Him. He loves us. He accepts us. And by grace, He includes us in His family. And by grace, He gives us a job to do He's prepared good works beforehand that we might walk in them. His grace gifts us and empowers us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And so let me close simply by asking you, do you believe that? Do you believe that God has given his grace to you individually, personally, uniquely to empower you to make a contribution for his kingdom? Do you live as if that was true? Do you get up in the morning and think about how you can be available, how you can be attentive, how you can be prayerful, how you can be attentional so that you might minister God's grace to someone hurting that's around you? Ephesians 4, 7-13 teaches us that Christ has given us to each other to be a gift to build one another up so that we can be a blessing to the world. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. You've not only saved us by grace, you've gifted us to serve by grace. Thank you that you've gifted each one of us individually so that we can make our own contribution to what your kingdom is doing in this world, to to help with the health and the maturity of the body of Christ. So, Lord, I pray that we would be filled with gratitude as we consider the grace you've given each of us. Lord, would you graciously empower us? Help us to be faithful stewards of the grace you've given as we minister to others for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.